It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Thank you, Chuck, and welcome once again in the front row. I'm your host, Mike Vaccaro. Behind the scenes is J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Well, we're talking a little football here today, and for that, we're going north. We're going to Buffalo as we're sitting down with the Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean, being a guy who started as an intern with the Carolina Panthers, worked his way up to interim GM, assistant GM, and now in his fourth season as a general manager for the Buffalo Bills, has that organization turned around and has that organization looking for a chance to get to the Super Bowl and eventually win it as well. So great conversation, a guy who started in Wilmington, North Carolina, UNCW. He's a North Carolina guy, now applying his trade in Orchard Park, New York. This episode of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro, it's the Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean. Well, Brandon, once again, uh, I mean, this is obviously a busy time for you right in the middle of an NFL season. You're taking the time out of uh, your schedule to join us, and we certainly appreciate that and appreciate you spending some time with us here today. No, I'm glad to be here, Mike. I always enjoy catching up with uh, anybody from down in Wilmington area. I don't get back there enough, but uh, um, winter's coming here shortly, so uh, that's when you really think about uh, getting to a beach or something uh, once the snow starts arriving here in Buffalo. Yeah, winter and winter in Buffalo is certainly a long way from uh, your roots here in North Carolina. We're going to get into a lot of that. We'll get into your time at UNCW. But let's start at the very beginning for you. You know, you're from Norwood, North Carolina, Stanley County, around the Charlotte area, but the population, I guess, of about 3,000 or so. What was life like for you growing up in Norwood, and and how much were were sports a a part of uh, you growing up there? Yeah, I mean, uh, Norwood is is a very rural area, Uh, you know, a lot of farming, and uh, we had a factory or two, but, uh, you know, it was... Little League sports was everything, you know, and then, and then high school. And it was, you know, I, I grew up playing football, basketball, baseball, and golf. Um, whatever time of year it was, uh, I was going to do that because if I wasn't doing that, I was probably going to be uh, working in the yard or, or, or doing whatever it took, you know, just trying to basically keep myself busy um, was, was, you know, kind of the way I was raised. If, you know, my parents both worked and uh, wasn't a lot of sitting around like, get up and do something, be productive. So that's kind of the, uh, how I was raised, uh, in, in Norwood and Stanley County. Who introduced you to all those sports growing up? Yeah, it was my dad. I mean, he, uh, you know, I started at, at eight with, you know, I probably started basketball, maybe six or seven, but, uh, football, you were allowed to pad up and play at eight years old and, and did that. And then, uh, little league baseball. And so played them all started golf when I was about seven. Uh, so, Really enjoyed, you know, playing playing sports in the area, and uh, still have a lot of friends uh, that I stay connected with, and and uh, especially, you know, some of them I'll, I'll still golf with here or there if I can if I can make it down that way. Early on, was there a sport that you gravitated to a little bit more than than the others? You know, football was the one that I definitely was the in season was the most passionate about. Now soon as football was over, I'd had enough and I was excited about basketball and kind of the same thing. You're inside in the winter playing basketball and here comes baseball and you're excited to get out there. So I really enjoyed being able to play. And and I'm a big advocate of kids playing. You know, I know there's a lot of times now people will do the specialized training and they'll play one sport, you know, all year long. And 
Um, I'm not saying that's the wrong way. That's just not the way I believe in. I think it's, it's good. And I think, you know, there's a lot of different skills that you learn from one sport that will help you in another that if you didn't play that, you know, whether it's hand eye, uh, whether it's your, your foot quicks, your lateral quicks, whatever it is. And a lot of the guys, you know, here in the NFL, I talked to, they, they didn't just play football. They played, you know, most sports, at least two sports. And uh, I think it's important sometimes, I think as parents, I want, you know, little Johnny to be the best baseball player ever. And we're, we're not going to let him play football or basketball. Uh, so as a GM, we'll get to some more of this later, but are you looking at that, the history of some of the players that, that you're looking to sign, you're looking to draft and seeing, you know, do they have diversity in their background as far as sports are concerned? Yeah, I mean, it's, listen, we don't hold it against them, but we do like to understand uh, what they grew up doing. I mean, wrestling is a sport that, um, you know, I didn't do, but uh, had some friends and and Sean McDermott, who, who's our head coach here, um, was a big time wrestler. And, and we talk about it the leverage game as a lineman, offense or defense, a lot of those guys, a lot of the really skilled ones, they wrestled at one point. So we ask and try and learn, you know, we get some guys that, that ran the hundred meter track and uh, some guys that are playing tight end or, or, you know, a position that you wouldn't think you always think receivers are fast, but there's some guys that were really good high school track athletes, whether it was, uh, you know, like I said, the hundred or, uh, some relay deals. So it's always good to kind of see what their path was and, and, and what their journey was and, and, and how they did, you know, was it some of these guys, I mean, we've come across guys that didn't play football until their junior year of high school, which would be hard to believe. Um, but their parents or something had kept it away from them con- with, you know, the, the health concerns that sometimes people have had um, with football and, and all of a sudden they, they get a chance to play it. Um, maybe they wouldn't have played it if they didn't play any other sports. But uh, whether it's basketball, sometimes you'll see basketball players, you know, become defensive ends or tight ends in our league. And some coach said, hey, man, I know you're a really good basketball player. You're not going to make the NBA. But if you come work with me, I think I can help you get a college scholarship. And, you know, five, six years later, they're in the NFL. Yeah, I'm sure, again, as an NFL GM, you've got to look and explore every opportunity when it comes to to players and, and athletes that they can be. You know, for, for you, again, you started to gravitate, I guess, in high school more to, to football and you, you were playing football. And unfortunately, an injury kind of ended your career uh, uh, on the football field. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, that was a crushing blow. Um, you know, but I, I look at it now as a blessing in disguise. I didn't I didn't see the Lord's plan for me. And um, but, you know, first first game senior year, um, first quarter tear my ACL and you know you just you're devastated I didn't even know what an ACL was to be honest with you you know that was 1993 and I had never heard of it you know you know I I know it had happened but uh, and I'll never forget the trainer that we had you know the South Stanley High School that I went to was a 1A 2A school so not but he had been a longtime trainer there and he he said I've never had a player that's torn an ACL he said this is what it feels like. He didn't, I'll never forget him saying that to my dad. Like, I'm pretty sure this is what it feels like. I've gone to clinics and things like that. I've never had one. He rode with us to um, Salisbury, North Carolina the next day. And we saw, you know, the orthopedic that he recommended and uh, that guy confirmed. And, you know, I'm still listening, you know, thinking, well, let's brace it up. Let's um, let me rehab it. 
you know, I had hurt my knee in basketball the year before, not to this extent, but, and had rehabbed it and came back. And that's kind of what my initial thought was. And then, of course, you find out you, you can't play. So it knocks you not, not only out of football, but out of basketball. Um, you know, I did wear a brace that year and play golf. Uh, one of the only guys walking the golf course with a knee brace on. But um, it I tell you what it did, though. It changed my journey. You know, as I after I had surgery and was rehabbing, it was a difficult time for me as a, as a senior watching all my my buddies getting to play sports and I can't play. Um, my high school football coach, who was the AD, asked me, you know, about three weeks before basketball started. He said, hey, listen, I know you're out, uh, but I got an idea. And he said, we we need a boys basketball coach for the junior high team. We got the same coach coaching the girls and the boys and it's hard on his time. And we'd love for you to coach that. And I'm telling you, I lit up like a Christmas tree. I thought it was the coolest idea. And um, other than getting thrown out of one game for not controlling my emotions, um, it, it, everything else was good. And uh, I probably learned more than the kids learned, but uh, it really energized me to uh, come be a coach, which is how I ended up in the seat I am today. Yeah, head coaching kind of took you in, in that direction. Uh, let's go back to the injury. What, what was your position, and do you remember how the, the injury happened? Yeah, so I played quarterback uh, all through high school, and but the year before I had gotten hurt, so uh, another kid also played quarterback. So we kind of had a two-quarterback system. If one of, them was at, one of us was at quarterback, the other one would play receiver, uh, and we both played DB. So we, we both played both ways, and – um, it was literally the first, we had just intercepted a ball. They got the ball first. It's crazy how I can remember this, but, uh, we had intercepted a pass. He had intercepted it and first drive, he's going to play quarterback. So I'm playing receiver. We threw a slant route to the opposite side. And so I went to block the guy that was coming to make tackle. It was a middle linebacker. And when I blocked him in the open field, my leg just stuck mm -hmm. in the ground and kind of did a, a negative, like real quick like that. And I knew something bad was wrong. I didn't know what I walked off and tried to run on it. And I couldn't, you know, I just, and, you know, again, I had no idea what, what it was. And I'm still thinking that night, like, you know, two or three weeks, I'll rehab this, I'm coming back. And then unfortunately the next day on, on a Saturday, we went to Salisbury and, and found out that I was done for the year. Yeah, and back in the, the early 90s, as you said, there's probably a, an injury that that would last a year or more with the rehab, you know, even on the professional level. So, so again, you know, at one point, did you think head coaching at some level was was going to be, you know, where you were going? And, and is that what you were looking into when it, when it came time college-wise at that point? Yeah, it was. You know, um, I applied to several schools. Um, UNCW was um, my number one. And so when I got in there, I just um, my parents had told me that, you, listen, you, you stay in state. We're going to help you pay for it. Colleges were much more affordable in, in the early 90s, especially being uh, if you stay in state. So uh, that was the school I had always enjoyed uh, being at the beach and just thought, man, you know, I'd love to go there and, and do that. And um, so I went there and said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to be a teacher. So I started as an education major. And I'm going to come back and, and coach high school football and maybe one day work my way to be a college coach. And I was on that path, Mike, until uh, second semester of my sophomore year. I just started dreaming bigger and just started saying and I spoke to someone 
someone had introduced me um, over the phone to a guy from the Orlando Magic, and I don't remember the gentleman's name anymore, but uh, he was in like a player development type role. And I just was asking him, you know, about various roles and, and whether it was PR, whether it was marketing, whether it was basketball operations, just, and it really, you know, this guy made me feel like he had come up similar to me and I knew the area he was from. And like, if he could do it, why couldn't I do it? And so um, I started talking to Frank Trimble, you know, from UNCW uh, and he was, you know, the leader that of the communications department at the time. And, and he, you know, basically just said, listen, this is what I'm thinking. And, and he had stressed to me, you know, we can help you as a community, you know, switch your major as a communications. Um, Cause I had taken a couple communications classes, do that. And we can help you, you know, whatever, from a PR standpoint, however you think you need to get in there. It's, he was explaining to me, you know, some majors kind of tighten what you can do this one, everybody needs to know how to communicate and uh, whether it's public speaking, whether it's writing, whatever it is. And um, that will give you a broad scope to kind of pick your course. And so the main thing you're going to need to do is internships, which was the best advice. Internships weren't as big in the early nineties, you know, now almost every school requires them, but uh, that's probably the best advice that I got. Um, and I didn't know a lot of people that were doing them, you know, some of my, whether it was my roommates or, or friends in their industry, uh, most people were just going four years, working side jobs, and then going to apply for you know a job when they graduated. But I did a couple of internships, and I think that set me apart to help me get my foot in the door with the Carolina Panthers. Well, and, and I guess you know during that time it was the Panthers were just coming into existence, right? Was it kind of perfect timing for you to to be there in those early stages and you know start? maybe as low as you could, but then obviously give yourself a, a chance to work your way up. Yeah, I definitely think it did. You know, the Panthers, um, you know, I got to UNCW in 94. Uh, so you would have been talking about spring of 96 when I, you know, changed my mind. And uh, the Panthers first season was 95. They played at Clemson that year. Uh, 96, they had a really good year. Uh, they went to the NFC championship, lost in, in Green Bay. Um and so, and I grew up a, a Washington Redskins fan. I wasn't a, you know, real Panther fan at that time. I was, but I was familiar with them. I'm watching them. And I obviously know they're the closest team, you know, four hours away from Wilmington uh, if, if I want to go there. So I actually applied Mike to the Charlotte Hornets and, and the Carolina Panthers. And the first time I applied to both, they told me no. Um, and so that was, after my junior year, the spring of my junior year, as I'm completing that year, I applied to both and uh, both of them said no. Um, but I did forge a little bit of a relationship uh, with a guy named Bruce Spate, um, who is with the Panthers now. He actually went to the Jets as their PR director and has now returned to Carolina. But um, Bruce kind of gave me some advice and, and what to do. And, and lo and behold, my sister knew um, she worked in the same building. She's a, she was a CPA at the time. She still is, but um, she was working uh, in the same office building with a guy named John Rocco who ran the Charlotte touchdown club. And um, she asked him, does he need any help? And she had been to some of their luncheons where they bring in ex NFL coaches or players to speak and they raise money for, for scholarship athletes uh, in the Charlotte area. So 
he said, yeah, I'd love to have, you know, Brandon come in here and help me. He can work with me all summer. He goes, bad news is I can't pay him a dime. So um, I went and did a 10 week internship with John Rocco that summer. And as soon as classes were done in May and stayed with him, you know, you know, through July, uh, early August before coming back to school and, and um, stayed on my, I slept on my sister's couch, you know, in, in Concord, North Carolina. She was nice enough to let me do that and would a lot of times ride to work with her because her parking was paid for and I was trying to save every dime I could. So when it worked out, I didn't drive because I knew I had to pay to, to park, but did that and then went back for my senior year. And um, I'll never forget, Rocco called me uh, in early February and said, listen, Dom Capers, who was the Panthers first coach, is going to be speaking at our luncheon in, I believe it was early April, late March, early April. He said, you need to come back here and work this. And so uh, I took a day off of classes, drove back and uh, left early that morning. The luncheon started, you know, like 11. I got there around you know 930 or 10, helped him run this luncheon. And I met Bruce Spate in person, which was good. I had only met him through a phone, uh, through faxing him. You know, can you believe we're talking about faxes? But uh, I kept going to the Kinko's on College Road to fax him my resume and, and stuff like that. And had finally put a name with a face and he was able to see me work. And, and of course, John Rocco had met him too and put in a good word for me. So after that, Bruce called me and said, Hey, uh, it was nice meeting you. I'd like for you to interview. I I'm going to be starting interviews again. I know we didn't select you last year. And sure enough, uh, they hired me for a training camp internship, basically a six week deal. And that's how I truly got started. So it started, though, with the rejection, like you said, from the Hornets and the, and the Panthers the first time. And what's going through your mind where you, you know, you had the aha moment of what you want to do and then you get the rejection. You know, how do you kind of keep yourself in the game, if you will, and, and you know, keep pursuing what you want to pursue here? Yeah, you know, I didn't expect to get it. I, I to be honest with you, I didn't even know if somebody returned my call. I mean, I grew up in a very rural area and. I wanted to go see the Washington Redskins play a live football game growing up. And the only, and I, my dad couldn't get tickets. Like there was no stub hub and all that stuff. You call a number and the Washington Redskins were so good when I was growing up that you had to, you were on, there was waiting lists for years is what my dad would tell me. And, and he, he couldn't afford to pay. We weren't poor, but he couldn't afford to pay to drive us up there and pay scalpers price and, and, and do all that. That wasn't an option. And we just, I was never able to do that. I mean, I thought it was amazing that people were able to go to an NFL game. And um, I was able to go to, a, you know, a couple of Charlotte Hornet games, you know, in high school through my dad's company, but these were like nosebleed seats. Um, but it was awesome to me to even be able to do that. Holy cow. That's, you know, Muggsy Bogues down there and, you know, Alonzo Mourning and, and those guys were, you know, the early Hornets, you know, in, in the early 90s. So um, to me, I didn't even know if I'd get a phone call back, but I'm like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And if I if I try for so long and, and I, I can't get anywhere, then I'll go back to my plan and, and, and be a high school coach and see if I can prove myself to to be a college coach or something like that. Well, things uh, certainly worked out well for you. As you said, you started really low with the, the Panthers. But so you, you take this internship. I mean, what was your plan from from that point on? And did you envision 
or think you were going to continue to move up and up and up with the Panthers? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't know. Um, I, I guess um, what I did, I just took it one day at a time. And I, what I said was when I first got there, I had the internship for the month. Well, then I was actually home, Mike, for um, a week or two. But I had told Bruce Spate and I'd met a couple people on the football side. I said, listen, I enjoy PR, but I really think I'd like to work on the football side in football operations. And, Mike, I got a lucky break. Literally, the guy who was going to be the season intern in player development slash football ops, he he left. I don't even know the circumstances, but my internship was up for like two weeks. I'm at home, and Bruce called me and said, "Listen, uh, they're asking if we have if we know anybody over here that that worked with us." Uh, and I told him about you that they need an intern for the season, and would you be willing to do it? And I was like, "Heck yeah, I'll drive there right now." And they were like, "No." Uh, call this guy and he'll tell you when to come in. I called him and next morning I showed up and, and I was on the football side and I was in heaven. I mean, I'm like, I can't believe I'm working with Dom Caper staff and um, you know, Marty Herney had just gotten there and I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store, whatever you need me to do uh, I'll be glad to do it. And so um, I started that year helping player engagement. I would help the, when I get done with that stuff, I'd go down to the equipment room, I'd fold towels, I'd pass out clean laundry um, and I would help at practice, uh, you know, basically help the equipment guy clean up the field, you know, shoot jugs to players, you know, catching balls after whatever needed to be done. Um, this was awesome to me. And so picking up guys at the airport, take them for a physical, like a player that we may acquire that we want to bring in or we're going to try them out. And, uh, Halfway through the season, the, the equipment guy, I didn't travel with the team. I just worked home games. But halfway through the year, the head equipment guy, Jackie Miles, who's now with the Giants, he said, hey, I'd like for you to come travel with us and help us on the road. You've done such a good job. And so I went on my first game. We went to San Francisco 49ers. I mean, I thought, I'm like, man, I grew up watching uh, games at Candlestick Park and, you know, whether it was – Joe Montana and, and the, the big games with the Dallas Cowboys, Deion Sanders playing there, Steve Young. I mean, just the, I was like in awe at, at, at where I'm at. Like, this is amazing. And I had no cell phone. I wanted to, like, call my parents and be like, because I knew my dad would be in heaven just knowing what I was doing. But um, it was it was amazing. So the rest of the year I did that. The, the crazy thing was, Mike, we went four and 12 that year and uh, if after the season was over, Mr. Richardson fired all of Dom Caper's staff and a lot of things were in limbo. And so I was literally thinking, man, I just worked really hard and I felt like I did a lot of good things. But I think all the people that saw me do those things are about to get fired. Like, what does this mean? Um, and so I was again home for three or four weeks. He hires George Seifert to be the head coach. And Marty Herney. Uh, was then promoted to director of football operations. He was just a salary cap guy at that time. He had come over from the Chargers the year before when Bill Polian left to go to the Colts. And so lo and behold, um, they uh, someone gave Marty my name, and including Jackie Miles and a couple others, and said, hey, this guy would be a great football operations guy for you in a full-time role. And so I came in, interviewed with him, and I still bust his chops to this day, but – he must have not called me back for over a week. And I'm like, 
I'm like, man, I'm telling myself after like two days, I didn't get this job. Somebody else got it. But I was talking to people in the building. They're like, listen, he hasn't given anybody else yet. He's still, he's got a lot of things going, but uh, man, when he called me, I was, uh, I was just jumping for joy. And Mike, I'm telling you, I'm, I made, I was still an hourly employee when I started uh, that year. I made like 21, $22,000. My wife was a school teacher and she was still making more than me. Uh, and we know school teachers don't, don't rack it up by any means. So, uh, but she was very supportive of all this. And, and from that point on, that was February 1st of 99 when I got my first full-time job. And uh, from there, just kind of worked my way up. Well, certainly you showed that, uh, you know, hard work, you know, leads to those opportunities and, and you continue to move up 2008, the director of football operations, interim GM in 2012, you know, the assistant GM 2015, 2016, obviously some, some great success there. You know, early on, did you feel like you had to prove yourself as, as a, a personnel guy on that side because you started in the communications as an intern? Did you, did you, you know, put in the hours and the work to kind of show that you belonged in, in that role with the, the team? Yeah, definitely, Mike. I mean, uh, I came up a very non-traditional way to be in the seat I am today. Um, most people come up as, you know, a college scout or a pro scout. They work their way up to a pro personnel director or college director and then to uh, a player personnel and, and, and then assistant GM. And so, um, again, I'm not in this seat without Marty Herney, uh, who, who's now in, in Washington, coincidentally, the team I grew up rooting for and the team he started for. Uh, he, he started with the Redskins in, in like 1986 or seven and went to the Chargers with Bobby Beathard and then came to Carolina and his career's gone full circle and he's back in, in Washington working with Ron Rivera. But um, Marty truly, um, he would just give me like something new every year and, and just to take off his plate. And he really talked to me as, as I built a relationship with him about conversations he would have with agents, you know, whether you're, whether we're going to do a deal with the player or not, you know, and he would, um, he and the pro scouting director, they would give me guys in the, um, in the spring when free agency was coming to do basically cut up tapes. Uh, some people refer to them as highlight tapes. Um, you don't want to just make them highlights, but you're basically cutting up a tape. If I want to watch 50 clips of Vaughn Miller or whoever, you just flip it on and and this is going to kind of it's a summary tape this is going to kind of tell you who this player is real quick and if a coach has 20 guys to watch it just helps them speed up the process so i would literally go watch hours of film and just in the spring and cut this up and it was it allowed me to while i'm doing football operations running our travel handling the budgets for the you know the training room the equipment room uh our our travel player costs whatever it was it allowed me at a time when, th when things would be slow, the season's over to hone in on those skills. And, and I had access to our scouting database. And so I could read reports. And so I would watch a player. I would try to watch a good player. One of the scouts told me this one time, he said, watch one of the best players at a corner at a receiver and go read some of our reports on them and what, how we're identifying the skill sets that this player has. Cause that's what you're doing as a as you scout. You're drawing a picture for someone as if they've never seen the player, and the the clear. And that's what I tell my scouts today. I want you to assume that I'm never going to see this player. I've never seen him. I don't know who Aaron Rodgers is. I want you to draw me the picture of who Aaron Rodgers is, 
as if I've never seen them. And then I'll, you know, I'll flip the film on. So that gave me an introduction to do that while I was still making sure all of my other tasks were done. And again, uh, 2012, uh, I get this, you know, the weirdest break ever, even though it was uncomfortable for me because Marty Herney's getting fired and Jerry Richardson decides to put me in the seat of interim GM at 36 years old was, um, I was excited yet. I was sad for my mentor at the same time, but he's the first guy I called before I called my wife, before I called anybody, Mr. Richardson, you know, names me that I go back to my office, shut my door and nobody in the building knows what's going on. He's, he's going to tell the staff in like two or three hours, but, um, I go and call Marty and I'm like, Marty, I'm so sorry. Like, and he, he's like, Brandon, he's like, you're, you're ready for this. You got this. I needed this break. I'm here for you. Uh, whatever you need, you call me anytime, day or night. I mean, what a selfless person who's, who's just been fired and has got to worry about his next job is telling me, go, go crush it. Like I gotcha. I'll help you with anything. And he filled me in on conversations he was having with agents where certain things were. I mean, just, and I called him several times during the, you know, 10 or 11 weeks that we had left in the season and, and got his advice on things. And uh, it's funny, we still talk several times a week um, now that he's in Washington and I'm, and I'm here in Buffalo. Yeah, it certainly shows just the business, the nature of the business of, of pro sports, certainly. And uh, when you have friends like that, uh, I think that's great that you had that conversation with him at taking over. So, like you said, uh, that was 2012, um, assistant GM, 15 through 16. You guys had great success. Uh, I mean, five NFC South titles, two NFC Conference championships. Did you think that you were never going to leave the Panthers? Did you think that you were a lifer there with Carolina? Yeah, I really did. Uh, I never saw myself leaving. Uh, and it's funny, like a couple of times, um, you know, I said to my wife, I was like, you never know, like we could get, you know, there were times where like even, even when Marty was, that year started when, when I got the interim GM job, that year, you know, Cam Newton, it was Cam Newton's second year. Cam had had his really good rookie of the year um, campaign. And there were high expectations for our season. We had just drafted Luke Keekley. Um, which people didn't realize how good Luke really was at the time. But um, we started one and five, and, and I knew when we were about one and three, one and four, there was getting a lot of pressure in the building. You felt it. And me as, as one of Marty Herney's right-hand guy, a lot of times that means you're gone too. And so I'd had conversations with my wife, and she was like, you know, we're not going anywhere cold, no Green Bay, no Buffalo. No, I mean, she named several cities, and uh, so it's – it's really funny how this this all worked out, but I never thought I would leave Carolina, um, especially, you know, when I survived that and Dave Gettleman comes in, who I did not know, and we formed a really good relationship. And, you know, I, as much as I wanted that job, I had hoped when I was the interim, I was hoping they would give me the job full time. And I thought I, you know, done what I needed to do. And, and Ron Rivera had really wanted me to get that. Um, but it wasn't meant to be and and it was a different plan and so i had to adapt and adjust and, and again uh dave gettleman who's who's with the giants now uh is a great friend and and really i root for his success as well and and he helped me he really did there were some things that you know dave came in as a truly a scout and i thought we were a good blend and that 
he'd never really worked running the football operations, the stuff that, a, you know, leading a training room, leading, um, you know, all these other staffs in, in football ops that you have to. He had just been in the personnel world, which can sometimes be where you'll see GMs fall. They've never done anything but scout. And so um, I thought we were a great blend. He, he taught me some things that I still needed to learn as an evaluator um, that helped me, you know, have success here in, in, in Buffalo. So um, things happen when they're supposed to. And, and, uh, but I never, Mike, I never saw myself leaving Carolina. I thought I would ride that out. And J when Jerry Richardson hired Dave Gettleman, he told me, he said, listen, he said, Brandon, I hired, uh, you know, an older GM knowing he's only going to be here so long. You've got to keep learning and growing and you'll get your opportunity. And so I kind of thought, listen, I'll ride this out and we'll assuming we have success, then hopefully I'm the next in line. And after a couple of years is when Gettleman promoted me to assistant GM. So I'm like, this is perfect. Hopefully in, you know, four, five, six years, he'll be ready to hang it up and, and turn it over to me. But uh, I got this opportunity in Buffalo in 2017 and it was just too good to pass up. Well, let's talk about that and, and how that materialized. Again, 19 years overall with the Panthers. Like you said, you, you never thought you would you would leave, and you did a great job, it sounds like, to kind of swallow your pride a little bit and, and be that number two guy and, and, and be patient. But then this opportunity materializes. How did it all come about? Yeah, so, um, you know, that earlier that year I had interviewed – it's funny how this all works out. So Sean McDermott was our defensive coordinator in, in Carolina, and – Sean and I were, I'd say, work friends. Uh, we had six or seven of us that liked to, to jog. I was into running a little bit. I'd run a marathon. I actually ran in Wilmington uh, Marathon in 2010. And, and so there was like, you know, six, seven of us on road trips or in training camp. We'd get out and run anywhere from four to ten miles. And so you get on some conversations and you talk. And Sean and I would have conversations once in a while in the offense, in, in, the, in the office about his defense and how I saw players, how, you know, especially in the off season, like what are our needs? What does he see our needs as the coach? And he wanted to know what does the front office see as, as the perceived needs? What's the plan? Like, are we going to re-sign this player? Where are we thinking in the draft? Things like that. But, you know, I knew he wanted to be a head coach. He knew I wanted to be a GM. We never had a plan of, Hey, if I'm the GM, I'll hire you as the coach. Or if you're the coach, you know, you'll tell the owner to, look at me as a GM or anything like that. It just, uh, we never went there, but, you know, Sean and I both got asked to interview with the San Francisco 49ers um, job that ended up going to uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And so we ended up being on a private plane together for a couple hours. Um, the interview actually took place in New York. Um, their ownership flew. They did some interviews on the West coast and they kind of worked their way across the country. So they flew us up to New York and, um, had us plus five or six other candidates fly to New York to interview with them in a hotel. And so Sean and I flew home from New York and, and he had also interviewed for this job in Buffalo and he was waiting to hear back if he was going to get a second interview. And, and neither one of us got the 49er job. And, you know, two or three days later, he gets a call to come be the head coach at Buffalo. And on that flight though, we talked about, you know, some of the things where he had interviewed. You know, and I talked to him about the various people I knew in Buffalo. Um, he interviewed with the Chargers, I think, as well. So I talked to him about various things. And it was probably one of our deepest conversations about running a team and, you know, 
uh, my viewpoint from a GM and hearing his, you know, from from a coach and how he would lay things out. And so we probably got deeper there than we ever had. And so he takes the job and I wish him well. And we go in that spring and and lo and behold, the draft after the draft, uh, Terry Pagula, the owner here in, in Buffalo, lets go of Doug Whaley, who was Sean's GM. And so they asked Sean for, you know, some names and I think he gave him a couple. Um, and, and I think he definitely probably had me at the top of his list. I don't know that you'd have to ask him. I've never asked him that, but they interviewed four people. Uh, they had their own list too. Um, and, you know, fortunately I was the one that was, that was selected, but it was a, um, it was an interesting interview because it was my second one. I felt way better about it. When I left the San Francisco interview, I didn't feel like I really got to lay out how I would do it. Um, this one, I felt like Terry and Kim Pagula gave me, it was a four hour and 50 minute interview nonstop. Uh, just like we're talking now, it went, uh, other than going to the bathroom, you know, five or 10 minutes and grabbing a quick bite. We, I mean, we literally kept the interview going while we ate lunch. And, um, I really felt when I walked out of there, like if they like, I mean, if they don't like me, it's okay. I laid everything out. And if they like my plan, great. If they don't, I got no regrets. I felt like I had some regrets with that San Fran. I really just felt like I could never get deep enough with them. They were kind of controlling the interview. And this one, I felt like they truly, while they asked me their questions, they allowed me to lead the interview process. And, and I was interviewing them as well. I wanted to know uh, why Buffalo had lost for 17 years in a row. They had bought the team, you know, several years earlier. So it wasn't all on them. And I gave them my opinions. I heard what theirs were, but before I left Carolina, which was a very stable organization at the time under Jerry Richardson, I had to know that there was going to be a chance to turn this thing around. And that was one of the biggest questions. I said, you know, how do I, how do I know if you offer me this job that you're not going to fire me after two years because we haven't won? And I said, you know, I went through the reasons why this was going to take time and, and all the moves that had to be made. And they said, well, we gave our head coach a five-year deal we plan to give whoever we hire as the GM a five-year deal. And I just said, um, that makes a lot of sense. And I hope that whoever you hire, you'll let them play that deal out before you, um, you know, move on, at least give them four or five years to, to show that they can build and build it the right way. Well, May 9th, 2017, you were, you were named the Bills general manager, but I'm sure before you were sold on them. You had to sell this to your family. Like you said, your, your wife, Haley, said, no, nowhere cold, no Green Bay, no Buffalo. So this was one of those places that she said no to. How did you convince her, honey, this has to happen? Yeah, I mean, uh, I give the credit to her. She was, she knew, you know, listen, she let me, she let me work, work as a $5.15 an hour intern while she was teaching school. So um, she knew this was my dream and, and, she was like, listen, if you think it's right, you know, if you feel like you're going to have a chance to show your talents and what you can do and you feel this is right, we'll, we'll support it. Like we'll, we'll go. And, and so she was all on board, honestly, as it, as the, it was, you know, my agent was calling me, telling me, listen, we've got a deal close. They want you, blah, blah, blah. As we're, as we're getting now, it's like, man, I'm, I'm really packing up and I had, you know, a rising, freshman in high school and a rising seventh grader. Uh, and I knew, you know, that wasn't going to fly well with them. They had both grown up pretty much in the same house. We were living in Fort Mill, South Carolina. And so they had their whole neighborhood of friends. I mean, we were about to turn their life upside down. And 
that was I, I actually had probably the biggest doubts at the last minute, not because of this, but just, you know, they were at a tough time of their life to pull them out of schools, neighborhoods, everything, sports, whatever it was that they were. And it was very tough. Uh, that was the part watching, you know, them cry and they didn't want to leave their friends. And um, but it all worked out. And, and I think they're, you know, my son that was a freshman now, he's a freshman in Alabama now. And he told me, he said it definitely has made his transition easier there of having to move to a new spot and, and meet new friends because he went to Alabama and didn't know anybody again. And um, it wasn't his first time having to do that. So uh, it was it was tough. And, and there were some some rough moments from a family standpoint as as they were blending in to a new environment here. But uh, I do think it, it, it helped them. Yeah, so often as, as fans, you see the coaches come and go and move around the GMs, but you, you forget about the families of uh, of all these folks. So that's certainly something to consider. Well, again, you're there, and probably I would say the biggest role of a GM is is getting that franchise quarterback, right? So 2017, you had that year, and then the, the draft comes up 2018. Was, was that, you know, the number one priority for you? And, and did you feel like this is something that I've got to get right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, this is a quarterback league. Um, if you've ever listened to any of my press conferences up here, especially early on, you know, I stress that to the media. And, and I stress that in the interview. That's, uh, you know, one of the things that I told the Pagulas in that interview was um, 17 years, you know, you've never had a franchise quarterback and you've changed coaches and GMs way too often. And it wasn't just them the organization like i said they bought it in 2014 so it went back to ralph wilson's days as well but um since that group of jim kelly um you know thurman thomas andre reed bruce smith since that group left and jim left they never found that franchise quarterback and they never found a head coach that could last long enough rightly or, or wrongly i don't know um but either way so you know you, you're gonna have to give me and sean mcdermott a chance here but the one thing that we have to do as organization is we have to find a franchise quarterback and that draft, you know, I knew, and, you know, I kind of talked to them about some guys in the interview that I knew would be coming out the next year. Josh was one of the names mentioned. I mentioned about six or seven guys that we would need to really scout. And I said, we're going to have to get some draft capital too. So we may have to make some moves and, you know, that summer, in 17, you know, we traded Sammy Watkins. Um, we traded Ronald Darby. We traded Marcel Darius. We traded Reg Reggie Raglan. Basically pieces that we didn't see here for the long term that let's go ahead and turn these players into assets to make sure wherever we finish this year, whether we win, a, whether we don't win any games or whether we win the Super Bowl, which I knew we weren't going to win the Super Bowl, but that we can have enough draft capital to go up and get the player that we want, assuming there's a guy we like. And, and we went through that whole 2017 fall and, and then, you know, through this process, you know, there were some very good options, but Josh Allen was the guy that we really honed in as the guy that would fit Buffalo, uh, big, strong play in this weather, athletic, uh, just needed some seasoning and um, it all worked out for us to, work our way, you know, we had, we had some good fortune that um, we had to work our way from pick 21. I traded a tackle and Cordy Glenn to go to 12. And then on draft day, 
uh, worked a deal with the Tampa Bay Bucks to go from 12 to seven. And, you know, lucky for us, there were some other quarterbacks that people coveted that allowed Josh to slide to seven. And we, we nabbed him there. Yeah. 2018. How about this? Baker Mayfield one, Sam Darnold two, Josh Allen was seven ahead of Josh Rosen and Lamar Jackson. So, you know, some other guys that, that, that you passed up on, but, you know, you engineer those those deals, those trades to move up. You're still keeping your fingers crossed that it's going to fall the way you want and the way you hope to get this guy? Yeah, you definitely. I mean, I didn't, I didn't sleep well for a couple of days, you know, and I was trying to do a lot of research, whether it was friends in the media, whether it's guys on other teams, what are you hearing? And, um, you know, I had put together my intel that, you know, about 48 hours before the draft, that Cleveland was down to Josh Allen or Baker and um, that the Jets, the Giants were going to pick Saquon at two. Um, we had tried to trade up, you know, with a lot of these teams. You know, I, I was willing to pay uh, King's ransom to go up to two to get Josh if he was there. And the Giants stayed and took Saquon. The Jets, you know, I was told was either going Darnold or Baker. Uh, so I knew Josh wasn't going there. And then Cleveland had the fourth pick. They were picking one, so they weren't going to pick a quarterback. And so I actually had a deal, Mike, with Denver. Um, John Elway and I struck a deal about 10 minutes before the draft started on draft night. And he said, Brandon, there's a player, though. Um, if he's there, you know, I'm not going to do this deal. So I truly had told our ownership and, and Sean McDermott, like, listen, I'm going to be able to get to five, and I think we'll be able to get Josh there. And Denver gets on the clock, and they thought Cleveland was going to take uh, the defensive end, Bradley Chubb from NC State, but they took uh, Ward from Ohio State, the corner. And so Elway calls me and says, Brandon, I'm sorry. The guy we want is Chubb. He's there. And I'm like, oh, my God. So uh, we had been on the phone with Indy. They were at six, and Ballard was like, no, I'm not moving. I've already moved back from three to six. And – it's funny, Joe Shane, my assistant GM, had initiated the call with Tampa. We kind of picked who we were going to call, and he had initiated, and they were like, no, we're, we're not moving. Um, but when we got on the clock, we went back and forth, and Jason Like was asking, you know, for a lot. And, and I get it. He knew we were trying to trade it for a quarterback. But we went back and forth. He hung up one time, said he called me back. I hung up a time and, and finally just said, all right, if you'll do this, we'll do it. And he took the deal, and – and so we went up and got Josh, and um, it was it was a huge relief to to have that. And uh, we really felt that if we got Josh in here and we stuck by him and we developed him the right way, that we could have a piece that we'd be proud of for a long time. Yeah. So so you you get the guy you want. It, it wasn't easy for sure, uh, but it's worked out well. I mean, last year the the runner up for MVP, he's been a, a Pro Bowl guy, and. You know, again, under your tenure as a GM, three playoff appearances, first division title since 1995. Do you feel like, you know, the, the perception of the Buffalo Bills has has changed now since, since you've been there and what you're trying to develop and make this team obviously into a, a Super Bowl contender? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I said, you know, I took this job and and I'll say it anywhere I'm, I'm lucky enough to work is I want to leave it better than when I got here. And um, I do feel like if I – you know, was let go tomorrow, you know, that this place is better than when I got here. And um, the ultimate goal, though, is 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 to win this Lombardi. And so 
uh, while we've had some success and, and our fan bases, uh, you know, anybody that knows Bill's Mafia knows how passionate they are. And, and uh, it's funny, I work for the Pagulas, but I also feel like they're like shareholders and that I work for these fans. And uh, it's, it's fun because uh, there is no fan base like it. I mean, I, I love my time in the Carolinas and I'll probably retire in the Carolinas. I got a lot of family and friends there, um, but there's, you know, there's no fan base anywhere that rivals what these people do. And uh, when we travel, I mean, we, our fans take over places and it's, it's fun to, to work for them. We, you know, we go down to Miami, we go to even Tennessee, we lost on Monday night uh, a couple of weeks ago. We had a huge, huge following of Bill's Mafia. And so um, we're, we've done some really good things, but uh, I can tell you until we, you know, this team made four straight Super Bowls in the nineties and, um, you know, I wasn't here, but I know those were four gut punches. I've lost two Super Bowls myself. And so, um, you know, no sleeping here, no resting on winning a division or, you know, winning X number of games or just getting a quarterback until we win that Lombardi. Um, we're going to be doing everything we can here to uh, to get to the top. Yeah, 1990 to 1993, as you said, they, they, they win the, the AFC championship and get to the Super Bowl losing, unfortunately, but – I guess, is that the standard in Buffalo? Is that kind of what everybody, you know, the previous coaches, previous GMs, everybody, the previous owners are kind of chasing the early 90s, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, you know, Andre Reid, Bruce Smith, those teams, is that the ones that are kind of the standard bearers for this organization? No doubt. You have to learn from history, and and we we enjoy the history of those guys, and and I've become, you know, really good friends with with a lot of them. Uh, I was with Thurman Thomas this past weekend, flying down to the Pagoula's wedding, and uh, Jim Kelly is very supportive. Bruce Smith is uh, comes up and you know we'll work with some of our guys, talk to our team, and uh, a lot of those guys from the '90s, you know, and, and some of them still live here. You know, uh, Jim didn't come from here, Thurman didn't come from here, but these guys they've made their homes here and, and raised their family in this community. That's how much this area means. This is a this area uh, is a lot like in its own way where I grew up, it's, uh, it's blue collar, uh, it's neighbors helping neighbors. That's, it's, um, you know, that's the slogan of the, of the city, the city of good neighbors. And, and it truly is, uh, people with big hearts that, um, you can really, you know, connect with. And it's real easy to see, listen, when you, when our players go into a grocery store or it doesn't have to be Josh Allen, I'm talking, these people know who our long snapper is. They know who our fifth wide receiver is. Like you don't have that in most places. And it's really unique. When you show up to a game here in Orchard Park, it looks like you're going to a NASCAR race. There's RV campers everywhere all weekend long. It's not just show up on game day for a few hours, pop a grill up, cook a couple burgers. Like I'm telling you, today's Friday. We play on, on Sunday here. There will be RVs lining up tonight and tomorrow morning for a whole weekend, and and it's a it's a privilege to uh, to be in the position I am. Yeah, the Bills uh, Mafia, as you said, certainly a a great fan base for you guys. And let's talk about something else that you've kind of tied in. You're talking about the community. How about the, tell me about Bills Mafia and what you and your wife are doing in the community there? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how we you know we're we're big animal lovers, and we have we have a couple dogs that we're both. Uh, rescue dogs and and you know the, we realized how you know much joy and and love they bring to our family and you know they're we treat them like kids you know as many people do their pets so 
you know, Stephen Hauska, who was a kicker here, he and his wife, Lindsay, had started it. They called it Hauska, uh, Hauska's Pups or something like that. And, um, you know, when we let him go, that was the one thing his wife said, well, what about this program we started? And we said, listen, we'll, uh, they were neighbors of ours and we'll, we'll take this over. And so uh, we renamed it because it was more than just dogs. It was, you know, so any, any home game that we score a touchdown, we pay for the adoption of an animal. And while most of them end up being dogs, it's, it's cats, it's pigs, it's um, rabbits. I mean, it's, it's everything. Uh, it's crazy. And they all have names and they call them draft picks. They do it like football. You've been drafted. And uh, so it's fun, you know, and, uh, last year was the first year we started it, and it was great. We scored 501 points. So uh, those are fun checks to write to uh, to help a good cause. And the SPC A uh, uh, here in, in Erie County is um, they've been a great partner with us to to help you know save a lot of these animals that that do need homes. Well, that's great. You always uh, again hear about players doing good stuff in the communities, but. Uh, GM front office guys as well. It's always good to see that. Uh, almost done here. I want to talk about uh, something else. I read in your bio. You're a, you're a big Pearl Jam fan and Eddie Vedder fan. And uh, I, I guess that you know in high school in the '90s, that's about when they were were coming up. Uh, have, have you been to some shows? Have you ever had a chance yeah. to to meet Eddie Vedder? I've not had a chance to meet him, and and I don't uh, being in this business, I don't get starstruck. You know, if it's you know whoever it is, but. Um, Eddie Vedder's the guy that I've said for a long time, I might would get a little starstruck, uh, trying, trying to meet him. Athletes don't really phase me and, uh, been around, you know, some, some other celebrity type people, but, um, you know, I, Eddie Vedder, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I've seen him several times. Uh, uh, the last time was a couple of years ago, they were at Wrigley. Um, it was pre COVID. I think it was, uh, the summer of of 18 or summer of 19 i can't remember but yeah they played in wrigley field and you know wrigley's a great venue anyway and to go see those guys there eddie was originally from chicago so he's a he's a bears and cubs fan um so he always works wrigley into when he's doing a north american tour and uh but no big big pearl jam fan it's funny my kids so i a lot of times i'll have on pearl jam radio in the car and they've they never have really liked it but now that I got one in college and, and the other, they're starting to like it. And they're starting to, even though they, they bust my chops for a long time, they didn't like it. Now they're, they're starting to come around and, and it, uh, they realize why I like them so much. Yeah. For them, it's probably considered classic rock though, right? Yeah. Yeah. They don't, uh, they don't, they don't understand the alternative grunge or anything like that, but, uh, that was, uh, that was a great time in the early nineties with, with those guys in Nirvana and, uh, some of those bands I was, that was right up my alley. And, uh, I got a, you know, I've got several DVDs of some of their performances and they put out a Pearl Jam 20. That's now 10 years old. They're now on 30 years going. It's, it's crazy how time flies. It feels like I just bought that DVD a couple of years ago and it's 10 years old now. Is that what you're listening to when you're running those marathons? You said, you know, you ran one in 2010, I think here in, in Wilmington. Yeah. You know, uh, they were definitely, I, I do a mix. I try and, uh, try to have some mellow stuff too. So I'm not going, but I definitely had them towards the end when I needed that. When I needed that push some of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. And one last thing, I know you were a distinguished alumnus here at UNCW as well. Named that a couple of years ago. What, what does that honor mean to you? You know, where you got your start here, where you kind of realize where your future may maybe was going to lead to, what does that mean to you? 
Yeah, it means a lot. You know, I'm uh, I'm a big supporter of UNCW. Really, um, you know, without UNCW, who knows what my journey would have been. I met some, you know, important people there. And as I told you, um, nobody more important than Frank Tremble. And, you know, Pat Colma was a close teacher of mine who's retired from there now and gave me great sound advice on, you know, how to attack, you know, things as, as I was concluding my college career and uh, have become very close to Jimmy Bass there. Uh, who I thought, who I think's done a great job, and uh, I'm a big fan of his work, and 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 really just love following the school. Um, if we could ever get a football program there, I'd be, I'd be really fired up. You know, I talked to Chancellor Sardarelli about it. Uh, I know he's retired, but uh, four or five years ago, when I was, it was maybe my last year in Carolina as UNC Charlotte was getting their program going. Uh, so I'm not going to give up on that, uh, and I'm. I'll be supporter number one if the, if that initiative ever gets going. So whatever you can do, Mike, to get that going, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, I'll always back UNCW, and uh, that's where I met my wife as well. So it's uh, it's a great place. I don't make it back there enough. It's hard, um, but uh, always it's always fun to to get back to Wilmington. Well, I had the pleasure of uh, talking to you when you did come back for that award. And, uh, well, we, we greatly appreciate your time today, right in the middle of uh, your football season. And, and one, I know that, that you're hoping that ends up with a trip to the Super Bowl. We'll be rooting for you and uh, all Bills Mafia as well. And, uh, Brandon Bean, we greatly appreciate your time here today with us. You got it, Mike. Thanks for having me. And please tell everybody down in Wilmington, uh, you know, hi from Buffalo. Well, once again, my thanks to Brandon Bean for joining us here right in the middle of the NFL season. Can't thank him enough. Have to thank the UNCW Alumni Relations Group as well for helping connect us to him. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with him. And uh, I know whether you're part of Bills Mafia or not, you might be rooting for the Buffalo Bills here this season. Love to see them succeed. Great job by the general manager, Brandon Bean. Again, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you for joining us as well. Stick with us. We've got more great guests coming. So stick with us all year long, every week, right here in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.